Welcome to Liberate Your People Pleaser. You might be a people pleaser if you tend to feel guilty when you do actually have the nerve to say no, if you tend to prioritize other people's wants and needs, even at your own expense, you tend to keep your mouth shut and not rock the boat, and you feel like it's never your turn. Well, I am here to tell you that it is your turn now and you are in the right place at the right time being exactly who you are because there's nothing wrong with you. People pleasing is just a habit that we get into to cope with various things that at one time in our life were way too stressful to deal with. And so much like a class clown will learn to tell jokes, we learn to please other people. And I say we because I have been there. So I am here in this podcast every week as your guide to an inner journey of liberation. Join me for this next episode of Liberate Your People Pleaser. Welcome everyone to this episode of Liberate Your People Pleaser. I am thrilled today to have Eleanor Beaton with us as my special guest. So Eleanor has many talents and you're going to find out about many of them today. And I'm going to do something now that I have never done on a Liberate Your People Pleaser podcast before I let Eleanor tell us about herself in her own words. I'm going to read to you a few sentences from her website that I think are so fantastic that I am compelled to read them to you. So here we go. This is straight from her homepage on her website, which of course is in the show notes. Uh, She is the founder of Safi Media, which is an education and coaching company for women entrepreneurs. So at Safi Media, we are committed to advancing global gender equity like those are three gorgeous words together right there, global gender equity through women's entrepreneurship. We're on a, we're on a mission to double the number of women entrepreneurs who scale past 1 million in revenue by 2030. And one of the things that we're going to talk about today a lot is ambition. And I love the topic of ambition. And as people pleasers, I know we're not, depending on where you are in your journey, you may be very uncomfortable with owning your own ambition, with even thinking of yourself as ambitious. Uh, I think of myself as very ambitious. And the older I get, I think the more ambitious I become, not the less. And I'm going to say publicly today, I want to be sure I am one of those women in your headcount to be over a million in revenue by 2030. Okay. So with that, let's go. Let's go. Yes. (laughs) Um, So with that, Eleanor, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, how you got there. I mean, I just have a million questions. So tell us about yourself and your own journey uh, as an entrepreneur and in the realm of ambition and Safi Media and all the things. Well, I feel like the place to start is that I'm 100% a legit recovering people pleaser. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just just need yes. to make sure that that is completely clear. And of course, you know, when I think about ambition, which is so important, you know, I think it's been so important for me. It's so important in terms of the work that um, we do with female founders um, and the relationship between, you know, people pleasing and ambition. And so, you know, my journey, I started out today. I do work with female founders. Um, we are very clear that we focus on helping, um, women entrepreneurs scale, um, for a time, you know, as a journalist, I was a business journalist for many years. It was really interesting. I did a ton of coverage of, you know, fast growing companies and Silicon Valley entrepreneurial venture capital type culture. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see myself in that culture at all. I just didn't see myself there. And I found, I can remember having a conversation with somebody once and I was telling him what I did, you know, what my business was. And he's like, Oh, that's like a lifestyle business. Meanwhile, at this conference that I was at, everybody wanted to be, their ambition was to be a unicorn. So a business that had like a billion dollar valuation. And it was so interesting how he looked at my ambition and how he kind of, you know, just sort of discredited it. 
So anyway, I've been fascinated with ambition for a long time and, you know, my relationship with my ambition and, and, and how much permission I gave myself to experience that, to feel it, to pursue it. I mean, that's a, that's a big story that goes back to Mm -hmm. family relationships and so on. Yeah. I love the way you just said that. It really is a, I think in my journey to a permission to be ambitious because for me, I grew up in a super religious, you know, fundamentalist kind of very, um, let's just say patriarchy oriented, you know, so as a woman or as a girl, you know, growing up, all, my ambition, if we would even call it that, and I would, wouldn't have called it that at that age, at any age, was that anything like that great that happened in business or earning, you know, money. So that's money too, right? It's money too, let's be honest, uh, would happen through my husband. Like it wouldn't be me. I wouldn't be doing that. I, I'm going to be home taking care of the kids and doing the domestic things. And I've always said, I think that that's really why I had four kids in seven years. <laughs> what does the overly ambitious woman do when she's relegated to the home? Not that I regret having my four kids. I loved it. I love being a mom, blah, blah. I love all the domestic stuff, blah, blah. That's not the point. But I never had, it took me until I was in my 30s to have any sort of vision that I was ambitious myself and that I could do that in any environment outside of the home. Yeah. I love this conversation because I think the way that we raise our kids to experience ambition, to experience to be clear about what they want, what that mm-hmm. looks like. It's this um, code that we are kind of raised inside. I know you talk a lot about this kind of unconscious belief. Mm -hmm. or unconscious, you know, thoughts from my perspective. So I think to understand kind of the roots of my ambition and how Mm -hmm. that tied and is connected to people pleasing, I really go back to my childhood. So I'm live in Canada now. um, But the reality is we immigrated. So I'm a biracial woman. My mother was from the Fiji islands. My father was Welsh. So my mom was black. My dad was white. We moved to very, we immigrate when I'm like four years old to a really small town in Nova Scotia, Canada on the East coast, mm. right above Maine. Mm-hmm. And, um, this was in the eighties, the early eighties. And I felt you know, when we arrived here, I can remember we would, I would go grocery shopping with my mom. She had, and has to this day, like a huge Afro people mm-hmm. would stare at us. Like people mm. would make fun of me at school. There was, I experienced a lot of bullying So what happened for me is I realized, okay, in order to be accepted, um, I need to kind of lean over to my dad. So Mm. my mom is awesome, but my dad is the guardian of what's accepted culturally. This Mm -hmm. was like the big, right? Yeah. So I I remember growing up, right. My mom, I would come home from school. We would watch Oprah. She Mm -hmm. was buying Ian Van Zandt's books. Like she was, you know, Gary Zukov, whatever his name is, the seat of the soul, like all of this. And I was a kid just reading and gobbling this stuff up. I thought it was fascinating, Uh but I would never say it publicly ever because it was all about my dad and his PhD and doing well in school and doing a quote unquote, respectable career that was very sort of high intellect. Mm -hmm. So uh, through a lot of my growing up, my ambition was very much relegated, not to what I truly wanted, but to what I thought would please my dad. And I don't even know if it was going to please him. This is just, we never actually talked about it before he died. (laughs) Isn't that so true? I mean, I want you to keep going, but I have to pause there a second because I think so many times, I mean, yes, there's the parent that's very, you have to go to medical school. You have to be a lawyer. Okay. Some people have that parent and that's, you know, bad too. But so many times we really sort of create our own story about what other people expect from us, a parent or, you know, uh, lovers, anybody. And then we fought as people pleasers, because that's our coping mechanism, our coping skill. We fall in line with that without questioning it usually, because that's part of that people pleasing thing. We don't tend to question a lot of things. We just do it because that's what I, I need to do. That's what he wants me to do. And I mean, there's so many things now I look back on myself and I'm like, 
who, whoever said that to me? No one, no one that I can remember. And yet it left this mark that defined how I behaved for years and years and years. So I just know, you know, everyone that you're in good company here that you may not be able to remember anyone saying it to you, but you may have lived as if it was prescribed to you. And that's just the nature of it. Yeah. 100%. You know, I can remember you talking about it, like somebody uh, brushing their teeth. Like yes. it's this autumn, nobody tells you to do it. It's just this automatic thing. And it. that was how it was like, oh, you have to have, you have to, you know, have a respectable, respectable career mm-hmm. where you're using your, your intellect, you're showing people that you're intelligent. Like this was very much the conditioning. Nobody said it explicitly. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if they actually felt that way, but that's what I took and made yeah. this upbringing mean. So I kind of pursued that path. I climbed the corporate ladder in advertising. I became a really hardworking journalist, winning awards, all of this kind of stuff. I started a consulting company. I just built it and had these celebrity clients. And the whole time I was behind the scenes Mm. um, telling other people's stories. And I felt that that was enough for me. And then my father was diagnosed with a very swift and severe cancer And, you know, I was like you, I was in my thirties when this happened and he passed away within six months. Mm. And, you know, I think one of the things about losing people and like that, you know, a parent is there's this incredible grief, but combined with it, which I think people don't often talk about, which is actually a very common experience is combined with the grief and this giant hole in your heart is also a certain sense of freedom. Mm-hmm. And with him not there, suddenly I gave myself permission to mm. say, okay, wow, well, I, he's not here for me to people please. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. Literally at 30, dad, look at this, dad. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Without that, all of a sudden it was like, what do I want? You know, and we've talked about the, you know, patriarchal culture and it can become like this sort of externalized father that you're trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, please, you're trying to, you know, really make sure that that segment, that leadership side of society believes what you're doing is great, but the freedom that came and it, and it feels almost like a betrayal to his memory. I just want to be really clear. It's not that. Mm -hmm. And if people have had that feeling, we're not betraying them. And that's, I think the other side of people pleasing, right? It's that manifestation of if I do what I want, I'm going to betray somebody else. Absolutely. That's such an important part of the dynamic because it is that deep, whether that's actually true or not is a whole nother matter. Most, (laughs) Most people will not feel betrayed when you stop being a people pleaser, but some will. I mean, that's why I'm divorced because my first husband, after a few years of me being on that journey and beginning to pull out of just who does he want me to be all the time or who does the church want me to be all the time to a little bit. I mean, I would, I would say in, in the growth world, I was in the first grade of coming out of people pleasing, but he didn't like it at all. He, I mean, within a couple of years, we had an argument, which was unusual. We didn't, neither one of us are, are very conflict oriented. We are adverse to conflict. So we didn't fight very often, but we had this argument and he just said, I don't like who you are anymore. And I just knew, I knew that that's what it was, that my little bit of speaking what was true for me or just disagreeing with him on something or saying if I didn't like so it, he didn't like it at all so whether he would use the word betrayal or not whatever it was a it was a deal killer for him but that was the exception but many many people in fact began to enjoy me all the more in my life because I was being much more authentic but the internal experience can be, oh my gosh, I'm betraying these people. I'm being very selfish. So many of the people I coach come in with a story of if I do that, if I really did what I wanted to do, that would just be selfish. And they're not being selfish at all. But so does that resonate with? 
It does. And for me, you know, what happened, and this is so interesting because it's like, what's behind the ambition. Mm-hmm. So there's like healthy ambition and unhealthy ambition. And mm-hmm. what I found is that after he passed, because it wasn't like, Hey, check this out, you know, so that people pleasing, there's so much reward in that. Like there is a yeah. payoff for doing it, oh, for sure. which is like, <laughs> Hey, good job. You know, yeah. people, love and you. <laughs> people love you. And so that stopped. And all of a sudden I could feel my ambition to achieve drain out like the tide, Mm. you know, it just kind of disappeared. So, and what I saw it, what was really happening, I, I was in the midst of a huge identity change. So when this kind of primary figure that represents something to me is gone, I didn't know I was going through this at the time, but all of a sudden that kind of anchor of accomplishment is gone And I didn't really know what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And so I can remember I felt so alarmed. Um, I, all I wanted to do was walk. So Mm -hmm. we lived in the country at the time and I'd go for these long walks every day. I would do what I needed to do for my two sons. They were small. One was an infant at the time. One was four. Um, I did the minimal amount of kind of client work that I needed to do in my business But other than that, I just, there was this kind of emptiness and it was emptiness of, of not knowing who I was kind Mm -hmm. of that internal meltdown of, of, you know, who I used to be doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and in that quiet, the one thing I did for myself at that time, I was, you know, I didn't have the coping skills I have today Mm -hmm. was just taking it one day at a time. Yes. And in that quiet, somebody said, um, do you want to try some teaching? Do you want to maybe do some coaching? So I went back to, I said, yeah, okay, I'll try a little bit of this. And then, and you know, then it was like, do you want to try some coaching? And I went back to my days of Oprah, of Oprah. Yes. And I discovered this chick named Martha Beck and yes. I did my coaching. You know what I mean? And, and it opened up and I re understood. I was able to reconnect with that person who I really was, who loved the seat of the soul and Ianla Van Sant yeah. and listening to personal development. And I rediscovered ambition and what that looked like when it was healthy and actually driven by who I actually was rather than who other people thought that I should be or what my perception of what they thought. Yeah. You know? And that was a major turning point in my adult yeah. life and just development as a woman. Yes. Well, that's so interesting because I'm a certified Martha Beck coach. Like, I don't say I that thought so because I, I, heard, I am. yeah, I thought <laughs> just sometimes in the questions that you asked, tell me where I'm wrong. You I was could, like, yes, you, you know, it's like, that. Uh-huh. yeah, you're like, Hey, I know, I know that. I know that metaphor. That's right. Exactly. I know. Cause when you were talking about how the people in our life changed, I was thinking of her metaphor of the elevator that when we go through these transitions and transformations, I mean, make no mistake, there are transformations in our lives it can feel like you were in an elevator with a whole bunch of people. And as you went up the floors, everybody else got off and all of a sudden you're in the elevator alone. And it just seems, you know, so deafeningly quiet. But when we keep doing our work through that and just kind of, I don't know a better word than bear. I think there's a degree to which it's just a bearing it. You just bear that you're in this in between time and as that elevator goes up to higher floors, those doors will open and other people will come back in the elevator. You know, like you'll, yes. you'll find your people again. But as I know for myself, as I've gone through several iterations, I, I say I have been born again many times in my life. I mean, <laughs> I have gone through so many rebirths in my adult life of who I am that there is a period of time where it just feels weird, almost disorienting because you kind of know, even if you can't articulate it, you're not going to keep being who you were, but you don't have a clear vision yet of, Oh, this is it. This is who I am. This is where I'm going. Okay. Cause that comes, but there's this middle ground um, where you can't see behind you anymore and you can't see enough ahead of you to really have that kind of clarity. And it's so frightening and it can feel so lonely when you're in that place where you don't see 
what the next thing is. You know, the way that used to be has gone um, either by choice or Mm -hmm. by circumstance. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't see what's ahead of you yet. And in our culture, having certainty, being decisive, having clear vision, you know, they're so prized, but I feel that that's just another form of people pleasing, you know, because Mm -hmm. sometimes there can feel such pressure to be able to articulate what comes next so that Mm -hmm. other people feel comfortable. Yes. I should be able to tell you. Yeah. I should be able to tell you, I Mm -hmm. should make you feel comfortable with the fact that I don't know what the hell (laughs) is going on with me. It's such an uncomfortable human experience that we try to make people feel comfortable by claiming this vision of what comes next that isn't even real. And I, I just feel Mm -hmm. like in that we don't make room for the magic to happen, you know, and I totally agree. And I want to go back because I think that the statement you made about the grief, you know, the very real grief and loss from your dad and the freedom that ended up being in that loss. I think that is so profound and I really appreciate your vulnerability in in sharing that. And I think whether it's a person like your dad that you've actually lost through a death or a spouse you divorced or friends that you lost, you know, because of your transformation or however it, it, it seems to you that there is that piece of freedom that allows us, or at least is an opening for us to give ourselves the permission to go to what is a phrase I tend to use is like the next highest version of ourselves or expression of ourselves I don't think the journey of authenticity is done. You know, I'm very authentic today and I'm sure how I will be in a month or let alone five years will be very authentic and different, you know, because authenticity isn't to go back to Martha. I love her metaphor of it's integrity and these kinds of things being a river, not a rock. So authenticity isn't a rock. I'm just, oh, now I'm authentic and this is who I am. And, you know, this is who I'll always be. No, I will continue to change and how I express myself will change. And it's just like we grow deeper into knowing who our authentic self is, because I think that I'm so impressed, even the more people I've coached, the more I see this, that there's so much that we think is who we are, that really is just who we've been conditioned to be, even when we're not trying to be that, right? Even when we're we're trying to break free of those those stereotypes or the cultures we were born into or the genders or the ethnicity or whatever cultures, but things that we have lived with like brushing our teeth for so long, We just don't question it. I don't wonder if I should keep brushing my teeth. I just do it, you know? And so there's things about each of us that we think about ourselves and think in the terms of, no, that's just who I am when it's not necessarily. Does that resonate or what are your thoughts on that? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I find so often you know, as I, um, you know, take an, an, a new step in my development or growth, mm-hmm. you know, as a person, as a business leader, as an entrepreneur, as a coach, whatever, um, every time I start to butt up against a version, like it could be, um, you know, a, a thought that I have, mm-hmm. or it could be a previous iteration of who I have been. Yeah. And I'll give you an example, right? Like, Do it. So when I was 14 years old, uh, I grew up in a small town, like I said. And so anybody who grows up in a small town, well, actually the ambitious folks who grew up in a small town, what is our ambition to get the hell out of here? Okay. So, So I was like, okay, all right. So my parents um, one day mentioned this cool boarding school that was in, so we're from Wales. There was this cool boarding school and you could only get in with scholarship. It was in Wales and it was like in this castle. Well, that was all I needed, you know? So I was like, I'm I'm going there. 
So this was, this is at the age of like 13 and you couldn't get into your 16, but that's who I was. And so I was like, okay, so basically from the age of 13, you know, I'm doing my homework, I'm volunteering, I'm trying to be a good quote unquote, all round girl. Mm-hmm. And just work. It was the work, you know, I put in the work and I was just going to do it. I wasn't going to lots of parties. I was going to put in the work. And that version worked magically. Like there were so many wonderful things from that way that I accepted. And then I figured that's how you accomplish things. Mm-hmm. And then what happened is, as I became a 30 and then 40 year old woman, um, for me to be able to retain a vision, like the vision that I was sharing with you, the vision to double the number of female founders um, that scale past a million dollars and in so doing prove a model of economic growth that nourishes the planet, one woman owned business at a time, man, I can't do that by myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that, and yet what I was constantly running into was this feeling of weight, exhaustion, and burnout. I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And I realized as I really looked into it, there was this brush my teeth, automatic mm-hmm. belief that you, in order to be productive and drive results, you put in extraordinary individual yes. effort. Yes. And so I built a team that was built around individual effort. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I created time management systems that were built on maximizing individual effort. It was mm-hmm. like this thought pattern that I hadn't outgrown yet. And, Mm -hmm. um, and it was only through, you know, and I read all the books, Brenda, Mm -hmm. I read all the books. I took the courses. I thought I, you know, I thought about different mental models. I looked at different business model structures and I was still experiencing this. And then I was working with a coach one day Mm -hmm. and we talked about it and we were talking about how I did things. And I could just remember that 14-year-old girl with her massive backpack storming across town, going from one place to another place, getting her stuff done. And I realized, wow, that girl is still trying to run my business. Uh-huh. <laughs> I haven't uh-huh. talked to her and yes. told her, hey, sweetie, like you keep that, we, you're a part of this, but I've got this. Like I, yes. you know, and guess what? We, we, we can have help now. Yes. Oh, Gosh, I love that story for so many reasons. It's just made me think of so many of my own things and experiences with clients because I think part part of what you're saying there that I really want people to catch is that there's a big difference between what we can really integrate, I'll say, in our lives. So the difference between hearing a message and being able to live that message. That's what I'm calling integration, being able to live it. That all the books and all the podcasts and all the, you know, whatever won't help. Like they're great for ideas and sparking something and, and encouraging, right? Like being a cheerleader and those kinds of things. But when you have something that is still in that position of, I'll say aspiration, but not integrated, almost always you need a one-on-one coach to help you get there. Sometimes even a group program isn't enough because each of us have our own little things. They're so tiny. They can be so seemingly insignificant. I mean, most of my clients' big breakthroughs are not because I feel like I've said something super profound, right? I just heard that little thing that is the pebble in their shoe and said, hey, you you got that pebble? Do you feel that? Like you can take that out. And it's like, oh, da, 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 da all the breakthrough, all the opening, and it begins. And then we can start to become who it is we've imagined that, you know, might be possible, the difference from that aspiration to the integration. And so that being able to work with somebody one-on-one is just so powerful. I do it all the time, you know? So tell us how you help Well, I'm thinking about this from two angles. Okay. So we'll do them both. Somebody who's just coming into it, just, just coming into their own sense of being ambition or their own starting to, you know, play with the idea of what if I really admitted, Yeah, (laughs) I really have all these things that are not for my kids or my spouse or my church or my community. I mean, they might touch those things, 
but there's that clear sense that it's for me. I want to do this. I mean, even if it benefits others, obviously I do a lot of things that benefit other people, but also in a way I feel like coaching people is the self most selfish thing I've ever done because I love it so much. It gives me so much. You know, so to somebody just coming into their relationship with their ambition, start there and then we'll go to somebody that's further down the road Mm -hmm. and how, like how you get somebody from a six figure to a million dollar, you know, that sort of evolution of scaling. Yeah. I love this question because, and because it is an evolution, it's such an astute question. So, you know, I think about, um, just starting to own that ambition. So for instance, that ambition, let's say that you have somebody who's built a six figure business. Um, they have replaced, maybe this is a woman who had a corporate job Mm -hmm. and she actually is now officially making more than she made in her corporate job before. And it's fantastic. And it's like, wow, this is really great. And it could be that that business is at the limit of what her initial belief system was around what was possible. Mm -hmm. So that's a great thing. You're at, you're at that limit and that's awesome. Right. And then maybe she's hearing this conversation and is like, what, Right. (laughs) you know what I mean? You can really, I, I, what, you know, I can't. Yeah. Really? So at that, and this is interesting because at that phase, what I think is, and it's like, it becomes a seedling or it becomes this spark. And at that phase, I think sometimes the, the, the thing that, that will rip it out is, okay, here's the five-step system. Yes. <laughs> here's yeah. what you need to do. Here's the formula. Here's how you Let's scale do it. from six figures to seven. Here's what I did. You could do it too. Yes. You know? Oh, and I'm that, so fucking oh. sick of that. I oh, am an I just online can't. entrepreneur. I oh am my God. so sick of, here's how I went from homeless to six figures. Now you do my 10 steps and you'll be, do- you know, I am so sick of it. I could scream, obviously. You just can't, you know, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And that's it's- the difference between like algorithmic learning, which is mm-hmm. there's a specific set of instructions to accomplish this, yes. which really works for technical. Sure. If you're trying or doing something very specific, here's the technical way of how you launch a podcast as an Mm -hmm. example could be, you know, Mm -hmm. versus that heuristic, which is more about discovery, finding your own solutions. Mm -hmm. So at that stage, I found for myself and for others, the, you know, I would say, take time to exist in that state of wonder and, and exploration and discovery without doing too much. Give yourself the opportunity to be um, um, an observer of what could be possible. Mm -hmm. So it could be just kind of taking, you know, being inspired by what that might look like. Maybe you are reading really cool magazines. Maybe you watch that movie joy about, Mm -hmm. you know, about the woman who started her selling mops and just did a fantastic, like, I think that ability to quietly kind of nurture the flame of your ambition a little bit to allow Mm -hmm. it to take a little bit of root before you start getting into the mechanics of it is so very important, which is why we don't work with people at that stage because we're, um, we are really all about creating a business ecosystem because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's about not being sort of, um, not into the hustle, but by the time we work with people, I know that for that it's really important for me that she is very clear on her mission and her vision. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a business that it, it's taken root and she believes in it. And then it's a different conversation. You know, then it, then there's room to co-create and be thought partners. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because the fire is strong and established already. Yes. So this is going to tie me back to what you were saying in your other story, which is so true about the former versions of ourselves and how it is easy to let them be, you know, driving the bus, so to speak, without quite realizing it. And I know I can see that in my iterations as an entrepreneur as well. And so there's this piece that is where we keep finding, I think in the journey for me, I'll just say for me Mm -hmm. that I keep finding pieces of a limiting belief. That's really the same limiting belief. I knew I had 10 years ago, 
Yeah. But 10 years ago, how it was impacting me was very different. Now yeah. it's so tricky and so subtle, right? Because I guess I, oh, could, yeah. I, I figured I've dealt with the big pieces and now it's just the sneaky little bastards that are in there. And I'll realize like for me, one of the ways I'll say it is I, I start to realize I don't actually believe I have earned or deserve whatever words you want to use there. As long as we're clear, we're not talking about entitlement. Okay. Entitlement's obnoxious and nobody wants that. But when I say (laughs) I've earned or deserved a seat at the head table, that it's that I have done enough. I am enough to be there on my own, on the grounds of me being who I am and what I do in the world. Yes. not. And this is, of course, seeding back through my original story with the patriarchy and the men and stuff. Not I got to sit next to my husband at the, at the head table because that's what I grew up with. Yeah. And I will still in fact, I was up at 4 a.m. this morning journaling about this. And I realized some I don't even remember now what triggered it, uh, something in a dream or something. And I was like, oh, well, here we go again. Here's this little speck of where I'm actually thinking, well, I don't belong there. It kind of, it's kind of imposter syndrome ish, you know, I don't really belong there. That's for other people, you know, and it's so insidious the way it works in us. And it's such a power play, right? Where we end up giving our power to these other people or programs Goodness yep. knows some of those programs yep. I bought at the beginning of my online entrepreneur career, I gave them the part where you said you have the formula. So, okay, I'm going to just be the worker bee. I'll do it. I'm a big, you know, hustler and worker bee. So I'm going to do everything you tell me to do. And then when I don't have six figures, I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, I, did and it. it's, I did the work. You did the work. And, and that's the, you know, and to me, like it's this whole other conversation, but it's this, it's this you know, really understand. And that's why I think there's like algorithmic coaching programs that are uh-huh. all about teaching. That's a very, great way to think of it. Heuristic, yeah. which are about problem solving. They're harder to do. And there's yeah. certain types of heuristic coaching that should 100% be done one-on-one mm-hmm. and some that can be done in a group format. It's just depending mm-hmm. yes. But your point about. So I think that like nurturing that flame of the ambition and what's possible. I think that's a really important place for one-on-one work. Actually, I think mm-hmm. the group setting allows you to see, but you know, I think that that pay, like come to us in the wholeness mm-hmm. of, you know what I mean? Where like that from, this is, everybody's different for, but from my perspective, mm-hmm. it's like, because you're, you're coming with your sovereignty intact, Yeah. but here's what I wanted to share. Cause I think this is a huge as women raised in a patriarchal culture, the subtle thing is like men are still at the center, yes. you know? So we're always kind of off the side. So we have to work so hard to earn our spot. Yeah. And the thing, the subtle thing that happens is in order to earn our spot, we have to be better and yes. we have to show that we did it on our own. Yeah. So I find women in particular, much more so than men have a need to prove we did it on our own. Oh. Now, when that ambition, now you're saying, okay, let's take your six figure business. This is in my world, but I, mm-hmm. to a seven figure business that cannot really be done on your Happen own. alone. No, you're right. So, right. So now you're at a phase where your ambition has outstripped your ability to serve it solely. Mm-hmm. And that now your ambition, you must feel comfortable having assets, building assets that support that ambition and bringing in people to help yes. support your ambition. And that is yes. such a huge mind bend. Yeah. If you are a people pleaser, and you don't feel like you are, have earned that ambition yet that you've earned the yes. right. So this is like this next phase of growth, which I find riveting and fascinating. How big can your belief in your vision, how, you know, can you bring the wholeness? Can you really bring the love of, of what your mm-hmm. ambition is to allow other people to help you achieve it mm-hmm. versus being just something? No, it's not worth your time. No, no, no. Yeah. I'll just take care of this myself. And that's yes. the gift of large ambition that we create the relationships and ecosystems to support. And this is like a very important, I think, thing for women entrepreneurs 
where to take that next step, it becomes not about me. It becomes mm-hmm. not about hustling to prove your worth. Mm-hmm. It becomes about that ability to be a true leader and visionary of humans. Yes, because I, uh, so everybody should just rewind this podcast about two minutes and listen to Eleanor say that all over again, because that was so profound. It was dense, sorry, but yeah, it's it was, like. No, it was fantastic. Uh, I, 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 It's so fantastic and so true. And I see it in my own growth trajectory. And I, I think along with that, I can do it myself. Like that's such a, it is a very female quality um, and a lot of other people of color, regardless of gender, yeah. yes. because you're, you're not the, you know, you're not the, the white man. You're not centered. So, yeah. And so you, you, you have to prove that worth and all that kind of stuff. And so that I got to do it myself thing. Um, we, it gives us a place to initially have value and build on that, which, okay. I mean, I, it's better than nothing, right. To get going, yeah. but then we've got to grow out of that. We've got to grow yeah. out of that and what connects to that, I think, and you can um, tell me if you uh, agree or tell me where I'm wrong, uh, <laughs> a little Martha Beck <laughs> way of saying it, is that the other thing that gets in the way there is control. Like part of, I can do it by myself. Part of what cultivates that is, so I've got to control everything and I've got, so I'm not going to delegate this project. Are you kidding? What if they don't do it right? Or what if I just have to, and, and control ends up getting in our way of growing out of that stage into bringing, and one of my favorite words you've just used is sovereignty. I love that word. Uh, So thank you for bringing that into the podcast. Instead of being able to really stand in our own sovereignty and trust that we can hire, choose, people who are suited to the task, to do the task, to trust the task. And if they don't do the task, then we deal with that. And it, even if it means we have to let them go and go find somebody else that that, and I can handle all that when I'm in my wholeness and my own sovereignty. Yes. And it's so interesting because you can read all the Brene Brown that you want. And mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. You know? I love and, her book on the whole oh, thing. It's oh so my, good. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just, yeah. she strikes again, man. Yes. Always. So <laughs> you can read it all, but the excruciating vulnerability of being, of, of what you've just talked about, of trusting people yeah. with what you've created, with oh. trusting that, with allowing them to co-create with you of, uh, I mean, that to me has been a really, um, a really profound journey, mm-hmm. you know, journey can uh-huh. be so overrated, but that's, yeah. I mean, there's no other way yeah. to talk about it, you know, and it's, yes. um, and, and it's been so vulnerable, you know, to realize and to come to grips with the fact that I had a hard time trusting people, um, yeah. deeply with, you yes. know, with work, with important parts of my business. And so what happened, I can remember getting to this, um, crossing this milestone in my business. And I felt this deep disillusionment. Yes. I thought I was going to be so happy. And I was for a little bit, then I felt very disillusioned. And I think, you know, as I look back, what happened is I needed to upgrade, you know, I needed to really up in order to continue to expand. Mm-hmm. If I didn't change more expansion was just going to be more headaches, more yes. pain. It's very common for entrepreneurs. Oh, I have yes. to do all this stuff. It's going to be such a pain. I think I'll just keep backtrack. Yeah. And it's fine if you genuinely want to keep things small, but mm-hmm. if you're lying to yourself mm-hmm. because of that automatic brush my teeth belief, mm-hmm. you know, that I have to do all this, that's when ambition, um, you know, it's, it, you, you've got to change, you've got to bring new elements you know, you've got to cultivate yes. new skill sets to allow you to serve that mission. Right. Otherwise, we just end up dumbing down our ambition to match our comfort zone. Yes. 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 So one final thing, because um, we're thank you, everybody. We for could talk forever, right? Extra like, long oh, episode, my gosh. Yeah, because we oh, my gosh. Forever. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, yes. everyone. Sorry, sorry. But not we're not sorry. people pleasing here. We're yes, not people yes, pleasing. We are not. <laughs> we are on our own train. I want to bring up one last thing in regard to this, because it might be a nice note for us to kind of end on, because I, I think that there are so many people that are listening 
that, that can relate to different parts. I mean, don't be concerned as you're listening. If you're like, oh my God, I can't even imagine seven figures. I can't even imagine wanting that. Like, that's okay. But one of the other things besides this control and trust issue that I think short circuits us. And again, ambition is at all levels. You can be, you know, whatever waiting tables or whatever you're doing and simply have an ambition to 10 bar. Like, I I don't know, whatever would be an upgrade. It doesn't matter. The point is, my belief is that every ambition we have, every idea that, ooh, like, could I, you know, go be the bartender? Could I own the freaking restaurant? Could I get out of restaurants altogether because they're sucking the life out of me and become a veterinarian, you know, like whatever it is, once you have that little spark of, could I, you know, fill in the blank, that is because your soul, your divinity, whatever you want to think of it is calling you to that, that like there's, you wouldn't have even had that thought if it wasn't possible for you. And one of the other ways I find clients, my clients short-circuiting themselves, and I did it to myself a million times, so I can relate to it, is they'll look at wherever they're at. Let's, we'll go back to the entrepreneur. Well, I'm a six-figure entrepreneur, and I have this resistance to scaling because I'm a little bit of a control freak, right? You know, whatever all these other things are we've been conditioned towards. And I should just be happy where I am. I mean, I'm making more than I was in my corporate job. Why am I not just happy with what I have? So I could have a whole podcast on that. And I've probably done one. We'll do more probably, but I would love to hear your response to that because we're assuming the, the person who is saying that has had a spark somewhere of more. Mm. And then they douse the flame with, I should just be happy with what I have. I need to just be grateful. This is the double-edged sword of gratitude, right? Where gratitude, you know, if you get whatever, (laughs) too off that on that scale, my gratitude can make me think that my wanting more is somehow wrong or selfish, or then we get pulled back into that people-pleasing stuff. So I would love to hear your take and what you would recommend to the person who is feeling that. My thinking on this has, has really been shaped by a woman and writer and sort of mentor named Hiro Boga. Mm. And she, she and I have talked about this. And, and one thing she said to me, which I will always remember, she said that, you know, you have a soul. So this is, this is predicated on, do you believe you have a soul? So, so my, what I'm saying is based on, is predicated on my belief that I have a soul and you have a soul and everyone has a soul that is capable of extraordinary things. Mm -hmm. And the soul can't do anything without this. Like I'm gesturing at my physical body, like my physical temporal time bound body. Uh, My soul needs this body to manifest who she is. She always Mm -hmm. has you know? Mm -hmm. So the soul's desire is to show more of who she is. Mm -hmm. That's it. She's going to look for whatever outlet she can look for. So I manifest more of who I am through my ambitions around parenting, through my ambition for my marriage, through my ambition for personal development. After this interview, I'm going to go lift some weights through that through business, mm-hmm. like there's so many, it doesn't really care what the outlet is. It's all about how can I express and manifest more of who I am to ultimately make this world a better place. Mm-hmm. And so my thing is, why would you stop that? Mm-hmm. Why would you halt that flow? Yes. It's like the way people used to put us in corsets. Why yes. would you corset the manifestation yes. of who you are yes. and call it and call it gratitude. Gratitude. Yeah. Contentment. I'm happy with where I am. Yeah. Yes. Bless, yes. Bless our little bless. hearts. We're so bless cute our little hearts, aren't we? Well, I, aren't we so I cute love sometimes? that. And it's such a beautiful way to end the episode. So huge takeaway. Don't corset your life. You know, that I love that. That's great. Um, because I so, I so, I mean, it's everything that I believe and it's everything I help and you're helping other people do in their lives is to release that corset and allow themselves 
to be and express everything that's possible for them. Yeah. Especially you. I have a little piece of that, but that's not the fullness of, but I just kind of based on what I've been hearing, I feel like that's just right up. That is right up my alley. (laughs) (laughs) I just love to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I look for. That's why I feel selfish with my work in a way, because it just, it's so thrilling. There's nothing better than being with a person. And I've coached people. My youngest client was 16. And so far my oldest is 76. And when you're with that person at the intersection of their coming out, like we'll go back to the corset, releasing those strings and all of a sudden, almost like having that first breath of air that we can all, we can all picture that corset tied up real tight and you can't <laughs> hardly breathe, you know? And then and you're you like, I'm so, I'm so yeah, grateful. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. I love a tiny <laughs> waist. I'm so grateful. And then you get to breathe and it just feels so good. And to be with a person in their journey when they get there, it is just the greatest gift ever. So, um, but thank you. What a gift today uh, for you to be with us. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom, all your experiences and all the way. I mean, there's a million takeaways here for everyone. So of course we'll have Eleanor's um, links in the show notes so you can uh, connect with her on social media and through her website and everything. Eleanor, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's been my honor. This was joyful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Liberate Your People Pleaser. Here's my invitation to you. Keep loving yourself enough to stay on this inner journey of liberation. And the good news is you don't have to do it alone. None of us do. So I hope you will continue to connect with me. I would love to have you post a five-star review on whatever podcast outlet you listen to the episode on today. New episodes come out every week. You can find me on Instagram at Brenda Florida Coach, on Clubhouse as B Florida. You can click the link in the show notes for my free resources and other information. And last but not least, you can book a connection call with me and we can explore whether or not now might be the right time and whether or not I am the right coach for you to help you on your journey of liberation. I can't wait to connect with you.